moving away from diet culture is not the opposite because that's still diet culture, you know? And so what you probably are coming to is this like gray area. Like there's lots of things that people will have that experience with, like just including more vegetables and what they're eating. They're like, oh my gosh, like I, I'm afraid that I'm going to diet again. Like I, and people will talk about feeling that charge and that hope that they would with a diet when they're just like, I just like eating more arugula. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I am Stacy. You guys... You know you want to support Didn't I Just Feed You. (laughs) (laughs) We give you so many free episodes every single month. If you have the wherewithal, we would love for you to consider checking out our bonus episode feed on Apple Podcasts or becoming a super fan, a supporting member of the Didn't I Just Feed You community. You can learn all about that option at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. And then you know what? If financial support of the podcast isn't in the budget right now, we totally get that too. Not a problem. You can always show your support for the show by sharing your favorite episode with a friend, leaving a rating, leaving a review, wherever you listen, just make it favorable. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't qualify it like that. Listen, kidding. If you want to move from just being a listener of the podcast and you want to be our friend, you can also join <laughs> our free community at the same link. Didn't I just feed you.com backslash community. Um, as always, that's linked in the show notes. It's on our website. It's on our Instagram. We would love to have you there to get meal plan ideas, ask us questions and make episode suggestions. Today, we are all, myself included, sitting in on a conversation that Stacy had with Julie Duffy Dillon, a registered dietitian, eating disorder specialist, who is also a podcast host that you may know from Find Your Food Voice. I have to say, Stacey, this conversation is like super vulnerable. It's something that we would have previously put behind the paywall <laughs> to maybe protect you in some way. So how do you feel about talking about your PCOS and your relationship with diet culture, your journey from doctors through holistic medicine? And you're doing it with, you did it without me, which is like even more vulnerable. We're the interviews. Yes. I guess. And all the doctor's appointments. It's true. You did not. <laughs> yeah. You did not accompany me to any of them. I would have though. I in would spirit. have. Virtually <laughs> in spirit. I'm otherwise. Sure, yes. I'm sure I have sent you teary voice memos, post appointments or something. It's funny that hi, I think it's really interesting that you said this is something we would have previously put behind the paywall because. <laughs> we have. I feel like, right. I feel like as we've grown more comfortable as podcasters, as we've grown a community that makes us feel safe, even though it's, you know, many thousands of people strong, it's still like such a positive place. And we really feel that in our free community and our supporting community membership. And as we've sort of work through our own issues, (laughs) partly through the work that we do together on the podcast. It's easier and easier just to be vulnerable, wrong, ask questions that you feel embarrassed asking, which is, I guess that's when I felt most vulnerable in this conversation. I feel I'm a pretty open book, so I feel comfortable sharing my story 
But then it's always like the follow-up questions where I'm like, that might reveal that I still have it somewhere in my mind that I want to lose weight. And it's embarrassing to reveal that. And also, I guess this is a good moment to take a pause and just say that if you're someone for whom talking about weight loss is triggering, restrictive diets, how you get treated in a doctor's office, weight stigma, um, weight stigma, any of that stuff, this might not be the episode for you. That's not a problem. We have so many other episodes that just talk about deliciousness. That was the hard part for me. Yeah. And one of the recommendations, a follow that Julie recommended was Brie Campos. Mm-hmm. You sent it to me like immediately after the interview. You're like, yeah. follow, follow, follow. So Brie Campos, her handle on Instagram is body image with Brie, B-R-I. And she talks about grief, body grief, the grief that we experience when our bodies aren't doing what we want them to do, don't look the way we want them to look. And then especially in light of our conversation with Jessica Wilson, just getting really comfortable with being honest about the fact that no matter how much work it feels like I do, there's still a part of me that just wants to lose weight. Yeah. And instead of being embarrassed of that, like really grieving that that's a reality for me still and that it doesn't mean I'm a trash person and that I haven't done enough hard work that it just means our society, in, in Jessica Wilson's words, society and our culture is trash. Yeah. And like that, that has been buried in me, that that has been baked in me so seriously that even having done so much work, I still feel that way. So it's not embarrassing. It's important to express because if we don't all express it and be like, yeah, I feel that way too. Yeah, me too. Hey. Who did this to us and how can we change that so that our culture and everything that comes out of our culture, how we talk about food, how we talk about portions, how we talk about different bodies doesn't bake the same stuff into our kids and their psyche. Okay, so there it is, because sometimes the the through line is so clear to us, like we've talked about our relationship with body image and diet culture behind the paywall, as it were, in the private feed, because we hear that people want that from us. They want more of just like Megan and Stacy as parents, as food creators, and they don't really care if it doesn't tie to feeding families. But I think even the name of the show and the description of the show is this promise that we're always going to link it back to feeding our families. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't think we are like explicit in saying that the work that we are both doing with our own body image, with dismantling diet culture at a societal level, uh, in schools, in the medical office, which is a lot of yeah. what you t- you guys talk about today, is important for setting up the future for our kids as much as it is for dealing with dinner time drama. Yep. Which, not to say that they're related, but you shared a little story um, off recording that maybe we'll, we will have published in the community by yes. then. If not, little should, About some like stuff that you recently had to dig through, work through with your boys that you were like, I thought I was past this. And then it bubbled up again and it was hard to like figure out for yourself, like, is this like a thing of my own restriction from growing up? Yep. Or is this a thing of like the tra- my, the transition that my kids are in? 
Um, and even though it was like a funny, fun story, it's still all circles back down <laughs> to this. This. Divorcing so, diet culture from divorcing diet our culture. medical experiences. Yeah. From taking care of our health. I mean, I think we and muddle through that a lot. Is health? Yeah. Like, what does it even mean to be healthy? So I think we should jump in, but I'm really glad that you referred back to the title because we don't normally talk about our titles. We just title it and put it out there. But I'm just gonna pause there because I bet you there are some people who got stuck on the second part of the title when you have to be on a diet. And I hope it'll become clear what we're referring to as our my conversation with Julie plays on. But what we mean there is basically there are times when people feel, for whatever reasons that I won't judge, that they have to be restrictive of certain particular foods to maintain some aspect of their health other than weights. Or an, for allergy reason. Yes. yes. Or for an allergy reason. Just like for it's not about weight. It's that, you know, you have a terrible reaction to eating gluten because you have celiac, right? So if there's some reason why you need to be restrictive, how do you navigate that without slipping back into diet culture if diet culture is a problem for you in the first place as it has been for me? Yeah. So let's jump in. But first, I want to tell you about Julie Duffy Dillon. She's amazing. Her bio start. I love the way her bio starts. It's so good. <laughs> it says, after sobbing in her boss's office 15 years ago, Julie Duffy Dillon, a registered dietitian and PCOS expert, taught her last diet. Hurrah! Once she learned about weight stigma and diet harm, she couldn't unsee it. Now Julie helps people with PCOS confidently tackle health concerns moving forward without shame or blame. She teaches them how to burn their PCOS diet books, yes, while bringing clarity into their relationship with food and body. She has spoken at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Food and Nutrition Conference and was a featured dietitian for the reality show, My Big Fat Fabulous Life. You can hear her on her podcast, Find Your Food Voice, learn about her services, including her PCOS power course and community at julieduffydillon.com. I do feel like I need to start by just like setting the context for why I wanted to have this conversation. So I do not have a background. I don't have an eating disorder, but very disordered thinking about eating. I grew up with a mom who just doesn't have like a strong relationship with food and is very thin, worked in the beauty industry and used to say things because I think you know, I don't mean to call her out because we've talked about it a lot since. And I think she has a lot of regrets. She just really didn't know. On top of it, she's not from this country. She's an immigrant from Greece. And in general, you know, there are lots of cultural differences all around the world. Greeks can be a little bit harsh. So there's also that cultural piece. And my mom, you know, would say things like, you're so beautiful and you'd be perfect if you would just lose mm -hmm. 10 pounds. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that stuff. Um, I thought I was pushing back, but that really does. It gets in your mm -hmm. bones. It gets in your brain. It implants itself. And, you know, I look back at photos and I'm just like, ah, oh, 
I wish I hadn't spent all that time being like, I'm fat when I wasn't or when who Mm -hmm. cares? So this is the disordered thinking that is like very much a part of how I have thought about my body, thought about food and eating. Then I discover as an adult that I have PCOS. It makes a whole lot of sense in terms of my cravings and my body and like the yo-yoing and a lot of things, like everything clicked. But now I find myself in a very interesting position where I am aware of diet culture. I am much more clear and aware of the thinking that I have brought to my self-understanding, my self-acceptance, my relationship with food. And I have to deal with this PCOS. And it's not just weight. It's also a lot of exhaustion. It's really like managing my energy. It's like spikes of energy because I'm a high energy person, but I get spikes and then I get exhausted. And food really plays a part of it. So it's kind of two-pronged. One is like, how do I manage this for myself, knowing that certain foods make me feel better and certain foods that I crave don't, right? And like my understanding of intuitive eating is like, go with what you crave and feed your cravings. But like, I don't trust my cravings. Sometimes my cravings lead me to foods that make me feel bad physically. And then the other piece of it is, how do I navigate healthcare? So there's like a lot. We don't, those aren't the big, like that's setting the scene because I literally cannot go to a gynecologist, a general practitioner, or an endocrinologist who I also see without people talking to me about my, about diet, 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 diet first. That's like all anyone wants to hear about. And they hear that I have PCOS and that, you know, I'm struggling with X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z as I also navigate perimenopause. Super oh, awesome. Yes. Oh, that's another one to the list then too. Super awesome. I, I appreciate that it <laughs> feels like a lot that you just described to me and like your personal experiences. And you know, your story is your own experience. Everyone has their uniqueness to it. But anyone with PCOS listening probably could relate to like 95% of it. That's comforting. Yeah, it's very, very... Um, normal in a sense of like learning from your family, certain ideas and, Mm -hmm. and then feeling bad when you start to realize like, oh wait, diet culture is this thing, but how come I can't unlearn this when, you know, it's not just your family that you got it from. It's also because we're breathing it all the time. And then how to navigate living with PCOS, like PCOS cravings are a whole different experience. And when I started out as an anti-diet dietitian, I wasn't really specializing in PCOS yet, mm-hmm. but I kept working with people who wanted to do intuitive eating work or recovering from an eating disorder. And they had this PCOS thing and they're like, I can't do intuitive eating because of these cravings. And I was like, well, God's sakes, I'm going to figure out a way because you need to have a way to also like not be like tied down to a diet too. Like everyone deserves to feel at home in their body and to have like a positive relationship with food you with PCOS do as well, you know? So, and what I figured out was like, oh, these cravings actually have some really great information. And tell me, decode it, (laughs) decode it. Yeah. I mean, that is a a really important thing. And I, you know, the way diet culture has taught us to like experience cravings is to like deny, distrust, like don't think about it. And, you know, you said that you, when you eat something that you're craving, you feel pretty crappy afterwards, but just trying to ignore them and not do anything with them, I think it's it's keeping you from really great intel on your own personal way of treating PCOS. And what I've noticed is when 
people with PCOS, this is when it's going to get sciencey. So tell me if yeah, this is no, too much. Yeah, no, I love it. I love uh, it. Okay. Nerd out. <laughs> okay. So with PCOS, what I've noticed is um, there's two experiences in the body that will make that painful fatigue or those cravings and all the other symptoms. One is um, chronic inflammation and the other is high circulating insulin levels. And especially the insulin Insulin is something that I know a lot of people know about. They think about it with diabetes. But when you have PCOS, your insulin levels are so much higher than everybody else. And those intense primal, probably like carb cravings are so different than people without PCOS. I don't know if you know that, but you are experiencing cravings differently than I am without PCOS. And when they are like that, when they're constant and they are always there um, and you feel like crap after you eat it and maybe never satisfied, it basically means like there needs to be another tool added to help lower insulin. Um, Unfortunately, diet culture has lots of options, but those are all to me because really what we know is like short-term dieting does help with insulin, but long-term it makes it worse. So um, we need to have some other options. And there are, you know, making sure you're eating enough, including medications or supplements. I have found that um, increasing protein and fat at certain times a day helps too, without taking away carbs. Like some yes. people find that they don't ever need to worry about carbs. It just falls in line. And other people are like, oh, yeah, I just noticed I don't crave them as much now. Okay. So I need to pause there. And I know you're on a roll. I'm sorry. But Megan and I just recently had an episode about protein because okay. I started including more protein in my diet and she and I offline had a conversation where we were like trying to parse it out. Like, is this diet culture? Is this real? Mm-hmm. Do we really need more protein? And so then we, then she got kind of caught up in it and was starting to eat more protein. But I will tell you that increasing my protein has made it so that I've stopped. I've started, I used to not eat bread during the day because I would feel crappy, but I love bread. So then Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, like bread and pasta are things I'm going to eat at night if Mm -hmm. I'm really craving it, because then if I crash, I'll just go to bed. (laughs) Right. It's it's convenient to go to sleep then. Right. Right. But I'm, my carb cravings have reduced tremendously Mm -hmm. just from like jacking up my protein content. Like I'm trying to get like a hundred grams a day almost. Okay. Okay. And it's really making a difference in my cravings. Yeah. That's great. It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah. So what it's doing, I don't know if you're interested in this, but like what happens (laughs) is um, it's, there's two reasons that I think, and honestly, as I say this, like this is not something that medical journals have documented, but it's coming from 20 years of practice-based kind of evidence. But what I think is happening is one with PCOS, um, you all are told that you have to diet so much and focus on weight loss and not eating enough. So the body needs muscle repair and you need more protein when you're repairing muscles and you need enough calories too. But then the other part of it is adding more protein and sometimes fat for other people as well. It helps insulin levels just like take a little bit longer to spike. And so it doesn't cause as much of that bounce that causes the, some people have migraines, some people are tired or sluggish Mm -hmm. or brain fog. So it just prevents that. And it also prevents kind of like the flip side because when insulin usually spikes up, then blood sugar spikes down. So it prevents also that as well. And um, especially at the beginning and the end of the day is where I've noticed it helped the most. So if you love bread or pasta or both at dinner time, even adding protein to that as well, like experimenting with that, it may help your sleep because insulin's involved with sleep too. I don't know if your sleep's okay. I'm a big sleep proponent. <laughs> it wasn't okay for a very long yeah. time. But I, you know, as I revealed in the protein episode, I've been 
taking a lot of uh, supplements recently Mm -hmm. to help with my PCOS and magnesium and my sleep has, and because of perimenopause, I'm also on progesterone now. So like I, there's a bunch of stuff that I've been Mm -hmm. doing that I feel like I'm regulating. That's great. But again, even just the protein, Megan and I got into this conversation that really, I'm going to say this flippantly. I, I don't mean to offend anyone, but I really, it felt like mental where we were mm-hmm. like, is it diet culture? Like, should I be taking more protein? Is this bull? What's happened? I have opinions on that. Yeah. I would love to hear them because this is what I really like. How do we think about mm-hmm. being on a diet? I'm using the word diet in its broadest sense. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. how do we think about being mindful about what we eat, but then not getting caught in this trap of this diet culture thinking? Yes. So there's a few different things I want to say about that. One is diet culture is this oppressive system that has taught us that food has this power, like way more power than it really has. And it'll help us to attain all the things, right? And it also has a nice hopeful kind of slickness to it. And that's what I have a feeling you all were connecting to is like, ooh, I can feel that kind of seductive kind of quality that comes when you get up against diet culture. And it can be scary. And also it's informative. The other part of diet culture is it also is very rigid and black and white. Mm -hmm. And moving away from diet culture is not the opposite, because that's still diet culture, you know. And so what you probably are coming to is this like gray area. Like there's lots of things that people will have that experience with, like just including more vegetables and what they're eating. Yeah. They're like, oh my gosh, like I, I'm afraid that I'm going to diet again. Like I, and people will talk about feeling that charge and that hope that they would with a diet when they're just like, I just like eating more arugula. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's good to be aware of it and also give yourself a lot of compassion that like you're going into this gray space that as humans, we have not really in generations been trained to tolerate Mm. and it can be diety and not diety at the same time. And that's why I think it's really um, helpful to think about, okay, what am I going to add to my life instead of take away? I think when we go to the place of taking things away, it very quickly expedites into diet culture land. Yeah. But if it's like, I'm going to add more protein in, be curious about what happens and recognize that there's no like magic bullet here. Because here's the thing, we always change, like especially with PCOS or any chronic illness, it's always getting worse. Like even if you did everything quote perfectly, that doesn't exist, but it would always get worse. And so there's going to come a time where protein's not going to have as much of an impact. You're still going to yeah. probably need it, but yep. you're going to need to add other things to it, especially during menopause. Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. I mean, it's a really common place that can feel really sticky. And when you feel afraid that you're getting too close to dieting, I would encourage anyone to just like be curious about it. Name it with a friend. I think that's really important. It's kind of like, I'm aware that it's there and it doesn't have to mean that I'm going back to dieting because diets don't get to have protein. They don't get to have vegetables. They don't get to have exercise. Like this is things, these are behaviors that we all get to use. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I, you know, for me, I think the thing that I come up against just in the spirit of naming it Mm -hmm. is that I'm very good at saying this is so that I can feel better because it's true. I mean, Mm -hmm. once you experience the kind of exhaustion that I've experienced, where literally I have had to say to myself, like, just, you know, by the time we get to five or six o'clock when my kids were little and I'm making dinner, like, just chop the onion, just get the onion in the pan. I literally have to step myself through like every moment 
till bedtime because I'm mm-hmm. so tired and I am like, but I still have to feed the kids. I still have to make sure everyone gets to bed. You know, once you feel relief from that, <laughs> it really like not being tired is my priority over everything because I know how bad that feels and I feel so much better. But now that I get like, once I get the tired under control and the energy leveled out, it is, does become hard not to think, and now maybe I'll lose some weight. What do you do with weight? that? Yeah. What do I do with that? I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I think it's important to be like curious why it's there and what that meaning has for you. And, you know, you shared some personal things about how it's connected to your family of origin and how, of course, we're all breathing in this stuff all the time of how thinness is going to help us to succeed and, you know, do all the things. And there's some validity to that because we see weight discrimination all the time. So for many people, when I talk to them, they're like, they maybe had a negative experience with trying to access healthcare, or someone made a comment to them that made them feel really bad about their body. And so there may be like a trigger that's right behind it or not behind it, but right before it that is prompting it. Or it also can be this is kind of going a completely different direction. But I love this conversation because I think it's so important is if you have dieted, even without an eating disorder, just mm-hmm. just, just yeah. dieting, yeah. <laughs> um, the body has a way of remembering it as a trauma because it experienced starvation and starvation from the body's point of view. And, you know, thinking about like the brain, the amygdala, how it's remembering how it was treated during starvation. It's like, doesn't like it. And so when you are exploring all these different ways to add energy, again, it's rubbing up against a diet. And so Mm -hmm. it may also pull you into that like seductive side, like, oh yeah, maybe it's time to diet. And just knowing it and trying to like call it out and see if there's anything you need. It oftentimes is like, again, a cue of like, there may be an unmet need or it may be just like, oh yeah, I'm trying to navigate life in a really, um, in a society that has so much anti-fat bias that it, and it won't even name it, you know? So you're just surviving really. I really like what you're saying. Cause something that really is hard for me with the way that anti-diet has proliferated in social media is that it has ended up feeling in a lot of ways, like another extreme, mm-hmm. you know, I, Megan and I, cringe when we think about this episode, but very early on, maybe like three or four years ago. So before we were even really talking about like diet culture, intuitive eating, we, it was just starting to bubble up and we recorded an episode that we titled, it's okay if you want to lose weight. It's okay if you don't. And I think what we were pushing up against in that moment was like, everything feels so extreme. Everything feels like everybody's telling us what to think and do. And like, you know what? We're trying to be okay with our bodies, but like if we feel like we're heavier than we want to feel or than we're comfortable feeling, like we don't want to be judged for that either. Like Mm -hmm. we've grown up in the culture that we've grown up in and, you know, we didn't really know how to ask ourselves question, but I, what I like about what you're saying is it leaves room for complicated feelings and to honor the fact that we have grown up in diet culture. This is the way it is. For people our age, this is a new-ish conversation for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And just being calm about all the different complicated feelings. And I love what you talk about when you say it gives us information. 
Mm-hmm. Like all of these things can just be a cue for us to ask ourselves questions. Mm-hmm. It's like why I tell my 15 year old, try not to take it personally. <laughs> like, yeah. try, and it's the same, I'm giving the same advice to myself, you know, try not to take that kind of seductive feeling or um, try not to feel bad about it. Like just notice it and know it is very complicated. And, you know, thinking about too, what you mentioned about some people online having a really rigid kind of like opposite response as they're exploring diet culture. And I often see that, especially when people are kind of either newer to it or they've been more oppressed by diet culture. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've always been in a thin body, so I really need to check myself whenever I'm triggered by that kind of like reaction. And like, you know, I'm not actually being oppressed because of my body size. And some people are going to be very, um, appear to be more rigid just because it's like their safety or like their survival. So yeah, you, and it's hard to know. Like that's looking such a at generous stuff. way. Yeah, that's such a generous way of seeing it. Well, thanks, but you know, it took twenty years to come to that. Yeah, <laughs> just, I hope it wasn't we can always like this. <laughs> expedite this process. Cause... Well, I think we will because here's the thing that I'm like noticing again. My 15 year old, you know, people who are younger than us, even Gen Z, like they now have been brought up with this conversation. Yeah. It's not great yet. Like there still needs, a, there's still a lot of work to be done, but people who are in their twenties, like there's so many more people who are seeking out only non-diet professionals to write articles about PCOS, you know, yeah. even though they, it won't be an anti-diet kind of article. It's just, we just want to know about PCOS, but we don't want the other bullshit in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. and that's their standard. So I think it's going to be different you know, for the next generation, we're just going to be holding that up. 2024 is the year we're focused on finally reducing dinnertime overwhelm at Didn't I Just Feed You? And that means making grocery shopping easier and more cost effective, especially when it comes to the foods we all tend to spend the most on, like meat. Enter ButcherBox, where you can count on incredible deals on premium cuts. At ButcherBox, you can choose a curated box or customize your order of 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood to stock your fridge with all the proteins you need for the week, month, or even the year at prices that are hard to come by at the grocery store. That's all your protein shopped for in one shot at great prices delivered to your door with free shipping. Just one change, switching over to ButcherBox, and you guarantee yourself fewer trips to the grocery store and savings that are hard to find at the supermarket. Dinnertime overwhelm, be gone. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y and use the code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You, to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share HomeThreads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to homethreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y 
short for didn't I just feed you, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. Home Threads, love where you live. That's homethreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As a resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven-roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Speaking of practitioners who help people with PCOS, I like I said earlier, I show up and people want to talk to me about diet right away. And I've actually had to say, and I feel bad because I sometimes feel like I leave the impression that I've had an eating disorder in a way, but I don't know how else to get practitioners to not make diet the only conversation. I explain that I can be triggered by conversations about restrictive diets, that I'm a food professional and I just can't restrict and I don't want to. So how can we think about my diet in this context? And it's amazing to see so many professionals completely struggle with this. Or completely ignore it is what I hear a lot of times. Or completely ignore it. Yeah. There you go. Or to think like, well, you got to it kind of brushes up on like, well, if you're not dieting, then you're not actually trying to like improve your health, which is totally that wrong. It is yeah. so true to the judgment you feel. And then mm-hmm. I feel ashamed because I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to go in and tell a professional like you're telling me what the solution is. And I'm like, but I can't do that solution. Give me another solution. Mm-hmm. And when they're saying like there is no other solution or implying that with their response, then I feel ashamed. Like, oh, well, like I want the impossible. Like, and that's not fair to ask. So I guess this just is what it is. I yeah. either have to diet or I have to suffer with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to ask to you. Like you have to like basically advocate for yourself while yeah. you're also being harmed by the system. Yes, <laughs> very much so. I mean, I can tell you I'm a bit of a crier in general, but I cry most when I come back from appointments, especially with endocrinologists. <laughs> like My yes. husband's like, should you see an endocrinologist anymore? You cry every time. <laughs> I have recommendations for you for endos, but (laughs) (laughs) since I know where you live, but like, but I also say endocrinologists are known for their really poor bedside manner. They're great diagnosticians, but managing like the people part, there are very few that I have found to be palatable. I I can tell you. And I, and you know, it really took a long time for medicine to come into play. Mm -hmm. Um, But even that, like there's so many triggers. Like I was prescribed Ozempic at some mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. which is now I'm not on it anymore. Mm-hmm. It didn't work super well for me. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be on something all the time. 
but it's yeah. very triggering that it's a yeah. weight loss drug basically now. Mm-hmm. And I have found myself completely fascinated with it and being angry. Like, why did it work? Why is it working for so many people? And it mm-hmm. did not work for me. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, I wish it just had never even been prescribed. Like, I wish I'd never gone to mm-hmm. the endocrinologist who gave it to me. Because now fine. yeah, I think about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, I find for most people with PCOS who have been taking it, whether they have diabetes or they're close to that, um, if it works, it works great. But most people, it hasn't been working. But when it does work, it kind of works really well. Yeah. And I, I just want to send you a lot of support, like, because it's going to be probably very triggering now because... It is in its heyday and it probably will for next year or so, but then it's going to crash and burn. And that is going to be really sad. But also like, when are we going to learn that we got to watch out which medications we prescribe for weight loss? Yeah. I don't, I don't even like saying, cause I'm like, there's so many oppressive, oppressive things about that statement, but yeah. also like, when are we going to just say like, let's help, help people be healthy instead of yes. just trying to make them smaller. I'm really scared about how this is going to turn out with those. Uh, I am too. And then I'm going to be completely honest. I feel like a horrible person because then I'm like, mm, I'm waiting for that because I'm like it's mad. Okay. I'm yeah. mad that like it worked for, it's working for other people and it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then again, it's like unraveling all that diet culture thing and like not thinking about my health just in relation to my weight. Yeah. yeah. So, Okay, let's take a step back for a second because I think that becoming aware of diet, I certainly haven't been able to completely ditch diet culture. I would never say that. But becoming aware of it and becoming aware of it in myself and asking myself questions and being kind to myself about my weight has been an important part of how I have shifted my approach and the kind of caregivers I seek out for my PCOS. Mm-hmm. Whereas I used to before just go to the endocrinologist and just Western medicine, I have pivoted in a lot of different ways that is starting to work nicely for me. I, I still need some work, but whatever. So is ditching diet culture a mindset, a practice? Is it both? That's a good question. It's hard for me to call it a mindset because it is a part of like an oppressive system. Because if it was just like changing your mind, well, if we didn't have to keep living in it, then we could do that. You know, it probably wouldn't take long or as long for people to recover from an eating disorder or to stop dieting if we didn't like live in this. Yes. And so I think it's a lot of all of this. Like it's a lot of like battling what your thoughts are and um, what I'm teaching my kids and what I encourage folks that I've worked with is like, as much as we can to try to like, again, depersonalize it, like, okay, I'm struggling to maintain like happiness in the system. I can't change the system, but I can join together with everybody else. And that's why like we, everybody who's against dieting or naming it as this like horrible thing, we need to like stick together somehow, even if Mm -hmm. we have differences, because that's the only way we're going to change it. And I think that's when not until like the most oppressed person is actually free of diet culture or is it going to be any chance. Yes. So it's it's going to be a lot more work. But I think um, the more we can kind of quickly like notice when we're having the thought that maybe like, oh, I'm craving a diet or I'm wishing I could diet or I'm resentful of the folks who are taking this medicine, yes. you know, yeah. whenever we have those thoughts to be like, okay, I hear it. It's there. Okay. This is from this. This is from my, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether I always call it like it's from these systems to like help them not stay in that shame cesspool too long. Yeah. Don't let yourself stay there too long. Cause I think that's the big distractor from like enjoying your life. And then also like helping other people to be able to like move away from this crap. Right. Yeah. And then the practice, you know, I have, 
I have tied doing personal anti-diet work with allowing myself to eat anything and mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm good at not judging foods or I'm getting better at not judging mm-hmm. foods for other people. It was harder when I thought about it in relation to my kids, but I've done a lot of active work around that as well. But then when it comes to me, I'm having the hardest time mm-hmm. and that's tied up in my PCOS. You know, that's like carbs are fine. I don't judge carbs now. Like they're good. They're, it's energy. Like people should eat carbs, like mm-hmm. buy the bread unless you have celiac or, um, you know, but then for me, how do I think about my practice of eating, taking into account my PCOS and then also not wanting to participate in diet culture? So you mentioned something earlier that I think ties into this about intuitive eating is like eating whatever you want. And and yes, and it also is like including your experience before, during, and after mm-hmm. a food. And so it sounds like you're trying to also add in like, oh, when I eat this in the morning, I feel like in the afternoon. I don't want to feel like all the whole time. Yeah. So why can't that also be a part of self-care to have something instead? You know, and again, it's rubbing up against like, oh, is that being restrictive? Well, it sounds like it's not, but it also is a behavior that some people, when they are restricting what they're doing. Yes, so totally. You kind of have to be uncomfortable, I think, in order to keep moving forward in that yeah. way. But just know that, like, again, it's not black and white. So this is like just going to be super gray and messy. And again, with PCOS, you have these cravings that when they happen, it does give you really great insight. So when you get them, it, like right now, you have this kind of like, okay, if I eat certain things at certain times a day, I feel better. And again, I think they will eventually not work as well as they are now. And so if you can have a place to like continue to check in with yourself, it can continue that self-care of like, oh, I can tell I'm having more cravings or I'm tired now, even doing these things, I think I need to do it differently. And I say all that to be like, it'll keep it from being as rigid, which is what you're wanting. Yeah, I think that's right. And you're actually bringing up something that I hadn't really put two and two quite together yet, but it's been in my brain. So one example is that I've noticed that rice in the afternoon was making me crash, but Mm -hmm. I was often eating rice as a side with just a bunch of vegetables as a leftover from my diet culture, like salad for lunch, Mm -hmm. you know? I just recently spent two weeks in Japan where rice is around all the time. But the rice I was eating in the afternoon was served with protein. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I'm eating rice in the afternoon and I don't feel so bad anymore. And so, you know, not judging the rice and thinking, I feel bad. This means I have to eliminate rice from my life. (laughs) And that like extreme restrictive mindset and thinking about, well, when could I eat rice or what could I eat rice with? Mm-hmm. That might change the way it impacts how I feel. Yeah. Is where I need to be. Yeah. Like, what can you add to rice? What can I add? That makes it so it works for me. And there may be a couple foods that you go through all the options and you're like, I still feel like crap. Yeah. And mm. that's okay. And especially like as time goes on, that is kind of common for people to have a, f- a few foods that are just like, no matter what, I feel like crap. Yeah. And so, um, and then there you go. Like, that's why you can't just say like cut out carbs or, and sugar with PCOS like that. It's missing out on all this nuance and freedom that you don't even have to like, you don't have to torture yourself in that way. Yes. 
no torture. No, I'm, like, I'm so glad you can price now. <laughs> I do. I get it price. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> See, that's the cool thing that traveling allows then too, is like gives you that chance to experiment in a different way. Totally. Awesome. And have like yeah. a totally different experience with ingredients. Mm-hmm. I really love, and I really want this to be a takeaway for people that you keep okay. saying, what do you add? Not what do you take away? And I think that is a really easy concrete thing that I can kind of keep in my back pocket to help keep my thoughts straight. So I want to know if you have any other concrete takeaways for people who really food really impacts how they feel, whether, you know, they just have sensitive bodies or a chronic illness or whatever it might be, but they feel worried about getting sucked into diet culture or, you know, maybe worse, they're afraid of triggering, you know, yeah, they could relapse their ED. Their right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like what are some concrete things? So another one that I usually put before add, not subtract mm-hmm. is make sure you're eating enough. I don't care what the enough is just, or what makes up enough, but make sure you're eating enough because you can add all the different macronutrients or supplements or medicines. And it's just not going to do it. And we've been trained to think we don't need to eat that much, like Mm -hmm. enough, especially with PCOS, I think is so much more than we're led to believe. So there's that. And um, the other part of it is, I've kind of mentioned this a few times, um, but concretely, just know that like adding, needing to change things up or your chronic disease getting worse does not mean you're doing it wrong. It's just chronic illness and chronic disease. The other piece of this that we haven't really mentioned that is also a part of this conversation is the movement piece or yes. exercise. And if you struggle, if you've gotten through the food part and you're like, I feel okay managing my chronic illness with the food I'm adding, I don't feel triggered, but the movement you feel stuck. I hear you like that. There's something about the movement piece that is so much harder and it's okay if you need to rest for a couple of years, honestly, to recover from just the way you've been told you have to exercise and maybe do something slower and different. So be mindful, I guess the concrete way of saying that. I'm never concrete. Oh my gosh. But be mindful <laughs> of how much time you may need to recover from your relationship with exercise. I'm not concrete just because this stuff is so gray and, you know, yeah. there's lots of layers to it. There are lots of layers. <laughs> but I think those are really helpful for people. Good. And okay. then before we sign off, just for my PCOS sisters out there. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm sure that every person requires a different course of action because there's so much subtlety to it. But are there a few things that if you have found generally work really well for taking care of PCOS in terms of either supplements, food, movement? Yeah, eating enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so move away from dieting and notice the systems in there. Eat enough. I encourage people to find ways to lower insulin, whether it's through medications like metformin or something like that, yep. and or inositols and omega-3. Okay. Um, so supplementing with those. And then from there, adding protein strategically, mm-hmm. bookending it in the day. Um, some people end up needing to strategically add protein in every time they eat. That's not surprising, especially if you do have very, very high insulin levels. Um, And then from there, it becomes more, it depends, you know, that some people need magnesium. I know you mentioned that some people need NAC or berberine or a prebiotic that all kind of depends. And from there, so much of it, as what you talked about is like figuring out how to advocate for yourself and figuring out what you need out of your providers 
Um, and it may be like explicitly writing it down. Like I only want weight inclusive care. So um, I, what I've coached some people to say is like, I've tried all the diets. Mm-hmm. I can't try them anymore. Um, even if you like you have a severe eating disorder history or no history at all, just being like, listen, um, you can also say, I talked to my dietitian. It helps them just check that box off. Yeah. <laughs> my dietitian, yes. you could say, my dietitian said, I've tried all the things to cut out. It's just not going to work anymore. So feel smart. free to throw me under the bus. I don't care. No, <laughs> sounds, that is so smart because it's just what's said over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I, the other part I, I neglected is like the part about cravings, because when you do have cravings, that's going to tell you where you need to go, you know, and whether you like forgot to take medicine or you need to increase it, or you, you know, didn't have enough protein or you need to eat more protein. Like when you start to notice cravings popping back up, I really encourage folks to like, look what happened over the last like 24 or 48 hours to see if there's anything in there that pushed it. That may be like, you just forgot something or there may need to be a new plan in place. So, okay. So like a carb craving to you is a signal of what is it? An unmet need of what is there? Is is the unmet need the same across all people with PCOS or no? To me, it's telling me that insulin levels are spiking for some reason. So, I mean, it could be stress. It could be racism. It could be, I forgot to eat lunch. It could be, I exercise too much. You know, it could be any of those things. Okay. So, you know, some of those things are quick and easy, like eat more at lunch, but like somebody can't just say, I'm checking out of racism today. (laughs) Yeah. No, unfortunately (laughs) not. No, exactly. So, um, yeah, but I, I do think it's a signal that insulin levels are high and going back to like, okay, what do I need to do to manage that? And maybe you need to like increase the tools that you're using to manage it and cutting out things and dieting is a short-term solution only. It only makes it worse in the long-term. And I have a controversial and perhaps deeply problematic question. Love it. Bring it. But it's, it's on my mind. So I'm just going to lay it out there that when you are listening to your cravings, you're not dieting, you're adding your, you know, when you're starting to feel better, you're starting to get more energy, you're starting to is weight loss still a goal for some people? And is it a realistic goal? And is it just a realistic goal for some people and not others? Cause that's their body type. Or do you not talk about weight at all? I think it would be really harmful to not talk about weight. And also I, again, I'm a thin body. So like I have no personal experience with it, but I think talking about the desire for weight loss is really important as a person's like struggling Mm. to figure out how to do this. What I can't guarantee is that anything is going to make it go up, down or stay the same. Like Mm -hmm. there's no way to know that besides the long-term research, which says it's like long-term dieting is going to make a person gain weight. So yeah, I don't know. Like there's definitely been people who I've worked with whose weights have changed in either direction Mm-hmm. And um, and say the same, and their health is improved with all three. So you know, I I just can't. I don't have the crystal ball, and I also think like not talking about weight is just putting things under the rug, you yeah. know. And if a uh, if someone is working with me and they're in a higher weight body, and I'm not, and they're not feeling comfortable to to like talk about it for obvious reasons, then that's when like my colleagues who are in higher weight bodies are like. Thank God they got through the toxic environment of like learning how to become a dietitian. Yeah. Um, and because those are the perfect folks then to work with someone who's like just struggling to like, how do I keep going rejecting diets and yeah. not pursue weight loss? So yeah, yeah, because it's I'm gonna just say for myself, it's disappointing 
You know, mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. you have the health goals first, but then it's always in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. And to stay the same or to gain weight despite feeling much better, mm-hmm. you're like, ah, I kind of thought the weight loss was going to come with it too. Right. And then you're really stuck reflecting with yourself and on There's your body. somebody who talks about that a lot. Um, her name is Brianna Campos. I think she goes by Brie on Instagram. And um, she calls it like body grievers. And she talks a lot about that experience because, yeah, like I, I think of dieting as like the seductive fantasy. It is so hopeful and it it just feels so exciting. And so to realize that that's all just meaningless and doesn't exist is yes. really sad. That's so sad. I, that really speaks to me because I do think that denying the grief that comes with holding on to this hope that, mm-hmm. you know, even if it isn't your primary hope, or your yeah, only hope. It's still there. It's still there. And being able to grieve it just really resonates with me. I think it's what I didn't like about a lot of the anti-diet culture advocates uh, that I've come across. Mm-hmm. So I love to hear it because I feel like being able to say it out loud without shame mm-hmm. is something that I'm trying to be okay with. Yeah. But, you know, even asking the questions a little embarrassing, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a It's threatening. To be like doing the wrong thing. And I and I think that's why like when body positivity came on the radar and all the thin people kind of went with it, that's what happened is it yeah. became something you shouldn't talk about, which is wrong. This <sighs> is so, I know, sigh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of sighing in this work. <laughs> perfect, the perfect way <laughs> to end. But sighs and laughs, I love yes. it. I feel like that's the perfect way to end. Julie, this is so helpful to me personally. I'm so glad, so, Stacey. I don't That's know. great. I I hope. I hope that our <laughs> our listeners, thankfully, we have thousands of them. So I'm sure there's at least one other person out there for whom this conversation was helpful. And you have your own podcast that they can listen to also to keep the conversation going. For sure. And you're on social. Thank you so, so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. I want to say too, thank you for sharing your experiences because I think it's going to be more than just a few. Like sharing vulnerably your experiences is a risk, but I know there's going to be a lot of listeners who are going to appreciate it. So thank you. I hope so. Okay, Stacey, it's been a minute since you recorded this interview with Julie. It's been a minute since we talked about your PCOS in terms of protein this winter. Can you just give us a like update on where you are and how you feel about That's something controversial? Okay. Yeah. That I haven't even had time to tell you. So an I'm on-air f- surprise. It is an on-air surprise, and I am really curious the reactions to it. Okay. Okay. On the episode, you hear me talk about how I was triggered by Ozempic. Right. Yeah. And like all these celebrities losing weight. And I was like, what the hell? Before anybody knew what that drug was, I was prescribed it. It did jack for me. Yeah. And like, I was happy to get off of it. Happy. Because I was like, this doesn't do anything for me. Why am I going to take something that doesn't work? And then, and what does even work mean? Anyway, let's not get into it. And then all these people were taking it and it like worked. And again, what was that work? Work just means I see them getting thinner. Yes. See them shrinking their bodies. Like, I don't know how they feel. I don't know anything about it. Okay. 
So moved through that, felt great. Had a follow-up with my doctor who was like, I want to put you on, like, we're trying all these herbs, all these natural things. Oh, no. Wants to put me in something else. And I was like, I'm really triggered. I told her about how I was feeling really triggered by, like, celebrities using Ozempic. And she was like, I totally understand. But, like, we've been tracking. All this stuff is going on. And you still feel X, Y, and Z. The herbs, the progesterone, it's all really good acupuncture once a week. Her exact term was, it's like spitting in the wind. I really think like something is going on, like your metabolism is shutting down. It's very common in perimenopause, especially with women who have a history of PCOS. I want to put you on this new medication. I was like, I've heard that new medication being billed as the new Ozempic, and I'm very uncomfortable with it. And she was like, it's not, it's different. Here's how it works on two pathways, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I really need to think about it. So got off the phone without getting the script, talked to Mike and sat with it. And I'm about to start it. I'm going on a new medicine and we'll just see. I don't know what to say. I am going to do a weird thing. Do it. Something maybe we haven't done and didn't I just feed you yet before. I'm not going to react right here. I need some time to process because I think the other thing that is maybe clear to listeners is maybe not is like we have a very our relationship is like it's our friendship. Like we're business partners. We're friends. And one of the things that we talk about together is like our relationship to diet and body. Yes. Like I. My immediate first blush is like, I just support you in whatever you decision decision that you make for yourself. It sounds like you're not to the point yet where we get can get any feedback about how you feel. So here's what I am going to do. Because I also have to wear a glucose monitor for a month. Okay, very interesting. So the point is with the PCOS and the perimenopause, she believes that anything that spikes my glucose is immediately turning to fat. And like taking my energy, like slowing, like that's the tiredness, that's the weight gain. So, and she was saying that she has found that a lot of her patients, certain vegetables spike their glucose more than fruit. That like, we need to figure out like a very personalized, like what is spiking my glucose? Remember how I was like, rice just makes me crash. Yes. But then other things don't. So she wants to find out, like, her whole goal for me is to level off my glucose. Yes. So here's the point, the whole thread I was going to get to. I want to do a follow-up. Yeah. A whole follow-up episode. And I think based on, like, when we're recording this and when this will air, we will be able to, like, immediately do a follow-up. Um, probably next week or the week after in our listeners community. I love it. I'd be so happy to do that. Okay. Hey, uh, you can find information about those follow-up episodes, our bonus feed by joining our listeners community. We hope that you've joined us there. If not, join for free at denijustfeedyou.com. Or if you want those bonus episodes and some other goodies, join our supporting super fan community. Follow us on Instagram, where we are at Didn't I Just Feed You. A huge thank you to our producer, Samantha Getzik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next time. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review.